Hello, and welcome back to the Previously On podcast. We're continuing with our second season by taking an in-depth look at Avatar The Last Airbender, and more specifically, the second book of that series, Earth. My name's Brandon Berger. I'm Evan Muse. And I'm Maxwell Anderson. And together, we're our own sort of Team Avatar. We're very excited to keep our conversations going as we navigate our way through the second book of this series. For our 15th episode of the podcast, we'll be taking a look at chapters 9 and 10 of Book 2. Previously on Avatar. Here's some more information about Book 2, Chapter 9, Bitter Work. It's the ninth episode of the second season and is the 29th official episode of the show. This episode was written by Aaron Ehas and was directed by Ethan Spaulding. Bitter Work originally aired on June 2nd, 2006. Here's a short synopsis of Chapter 9. When Aang struggles with a block while trying to learn earthbending from Toph, he wonders if the problem is with him or his teacher. Here's some more information about Book 2, Chapter 10, The Library. It's the 10th episode of the second season and is the 30th official episode of the show. This episode was written by John O'Brien and was directed by Giancarlo Volpe. The Library originally aired as the first part of a two-part special entitled Avatar, The Fury of Aang on July 14th, 2006. Here's a short synopsis of Chapter 10. A professor leads the gang to a spirit library in the middle of the desert where Sokka hopes to discover secrets to use against the Fire Nation. So, what were your thoughts on these two episodes? Max, this is the moment you've been waiting for. (laughs) We finally have a full episode dedicated to bending and how they learn how to bend. How do you feel right now? Oh, I feel good. Finally learn how they learn. That's what I was (laughs) hungering for this whole time. Well, and one thing too, it's not necessarily just Aang that we're shown learning how to bend and do more. We also see Zuko resume his training, Mm -hmm. um, which is a cool update, especially because the last thing that we see is um, Uncle Iroh getting attacked right at the end of the chase. Uncle Iroh getting attacked and Zuko kind of having that panicked moment. Um, So this is the first time that we're really catching up with uh, Aang and Iroh, or not Aang, Zuko and Iroh. Here. I think these two plots pair together perfectly. Like you just said, Brandon, thematically, they're both learning bending things. They're both learning a lot about the philosophy of each bending style, too. Like, you sort of see how air is this perfect contrast to earth and how you can learn from one bending discipline to influence another. And then in addition to that, the intensity of each moment in the episodes builds really well, too. Like... The emotional connection for both A plot and B plot are just fantastic. Mm -hmm. Why do you guys think it was called bitter work? I think because Zuko made that tea. (laughs) I think it didn't taste good. I think it was bitter work. (laughs) If if I would have been just a tiny bit quicker with my wits, I was thinking honestly the same thing. It's bitter because Zuko sucks at making tea. Oh, that was good. That was good. I almost think it's bitter, you know, and... For what it's worth, bitter tasting tea is not pleasant to drink, right? I Mm -hmm. think that parallels the work that Aang and Zuko have to do in their own development. It's not work that they are incapable of doing. It's work that they don't necessarily feel the most comfortable doing. Aang's opposite, as we find out in this episode, is earthbending, right? Which is why it takes him so long to even learn how to move a rock. Where Zuko, on the flip side of it, hasn't been raised to appreciate perspectives outside of the Fire Nation. Mm -hmm. So when Iroh starts talking about the Four Nations and things that you can learn from everybody else, that's a direct challenge to everything that Zuko has been taught and told up to this point in his life. So that's why I think it's bitter work. Um, It's not necessarily work that they can't accomplish, but it's work that they don't feel the most comfortable doing yet right it's not like adjust your stance it's fundamentally think differently about how you see the world (laughs) weird varying your perspective oh my gosh what a concept (laughs) it was nice to see though that when iroh is introducing zuko to this 
Zuko wasn't scoffing at the idea of gathering information from different parts. He was super excited to do it, which I think was yep. a nice shout out to his character that he's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it was somebody else, like say Azula learning that, I think she would have kind of scoffed it away, right? Why would I need to learn a different style that's not Fire Nation? But Zuko is super hungry and curious for that. Right. And that, like you said, Max, that's a testament to where he's come in this season almost, like in these first uh, almost 10 episodes that we're in. One thing that Iroh says that also really kind of rings true here is when he's talking about the four nations, he says, Understanding others, the other elements, and the other nations will help you become whole. And I think for Zuko, who's kind of at this point in his life where he's realizing and understanding all of these horrible things that the Fire Nation has done and realizes that maybe maybe there are other ways in which you can rule and lead and exist in the world without uh, having to do so much destruction or so much negative uh, involvement in, in the world. Um, that's maybe why Zuko is so receptive mm-hmm. um, to that, because he sees that everything up to this point in his life has yielded this hurt and this pain and this negativity. So why, at least why not give it a shot? Right. And he is such a naturally empathetic person and so much that has been stamped out of him for someone to finally say like, that's an asset to you rather than a hindrance is huge. Right. I think we get this nice duality with him though, too, where it's, yes, he has this really empathetic side. He's, he's ready to learn. And also, this is probably his most dramatic episode where he's just, everything's blowing up in my face. Like, throw it at me. You've never stopped before. He's just like, he's so, he's, yeah. I thought that too. And I made a note, bitter work or the Zuko emo episode part 14 or wherever we're at with his emo outbursts. There are so many in this episode. Like when Iroh's first talking about lightning bending and the separation of those energies and he says something to Zuko like, Zuko, in order to do this, you have to have inner peace. You have to let all of your turmoil go. And Zuko straight up turns and just screams at him. <laughs> what turmoil? Or That's whatever amazing. it is that he says. Uh, and it's just, <laughs> I found myself just giggling uncontrollably at that while I was watching that. Because it is so, like, so perfect. It's hilarious. To kind of go back to the bitter work question... I was thinking maybe they thought they'd name it hard work. And then they're like, that's a little too on the nose with this being like earth bending <laughs> with the rocks. Yeah. <laughs> I do love when, when Aang, Aang is so innocent before he just gets crushed for lack of, again, a lack of a better word to use since we're in the, the state of rock puns now with book two. Aang is so innocent and so happy and so gung ho about like attempting earth bending. He's like, what move am I going to learn first? Rock Lanch? The Trembler? Oh, maybe I can learn to make a whirlpool out of land. And the fact that each of those names of those moves and forms is another rock pun just further cements. Oh my gosh. The comedic gold of this season. Like, I, it is so, so funny. All of the rock puns. I'm amazed they're like, were this many episodes in and they're still coming up with some. And they always feel fresh and they're always so perfectly timed. Mm-hmm. Like when Ang, again, when Ang tries to bend the rock the first time. And instead of moving the rock, must shoot an air blast at it that then ricochets him back. And Sokka, who got woken up abruptly, is giggling by a tree. Rock beats airbender. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which means rock, paper, scissors exist in their universe, right? <laughs> exactly. It's canon. It's canon. Oh, my gosh. Does anyone else get whiplash vibes from this episode? Like Toph is like J.K. Simmons screaming at Miles Teller. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She even has like this really long yelling monologue where I was waiting for her to just say like, are you rushing or are you dragging? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and there's a point where Toph literally has Aang by the nutsack. She has a a sack of nuts. Oh my God. Oh my God. I never thought about that. That's definitely. She has his nuts. Oh my God. I think my favorite part of this episode, I I really do enjoy the training because I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't say that was a big part of my (laughs) my joy from this episode. But (laughs) the Sokka plot is also fantastic. Mm -hmm. I know it's just a vehicle for the end, like the climax with the the fight, but I I love his conversations with, uh, what is it, Fufu Cuddly Poo? 
Yeah. <laughs> I do love how it's it's such an immediate, like, because uh, he talks about his karmic energy and how, you know, he is, if as long as he can survive this, he'll do all of these things. And then the moment Aang shows up, he's like, Aang, oh my gosh, do you have any meat? Yeah. <laughs> right after he just says, I'll become Sokka, the vegetable and straight talking fellow. <laughs> I feel like in a world where supernatural forces do definitively exist and mm-hmm. bargaining could do something, you have to believe that Sokka's whole like misery and clumsiness truly is self-inflicted. That sure. he does bargain his soul in a sense and always like goes back on always it. Always goes back yeah. on it. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Which is really funny to think then that's exactly why, or could be exactly why, all of his plans don't go according to plan. And it usually happens in either the exact opposite way or in a way that he didn't necessarily think about at at the onset or outside of his idea. So it's that makes a lot of sense, again, in in a supernatural world like this. Yeah, all the plans that he plans for f- fails. So he has to just keep improvising. Those are the only plans that actually mm-hmm. work are his like improvised, hey, let's mm-hmm. try this because the universe can't catch up and can't plan against him, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the best laid plans of mice, turtles, and men. Okay, speaking of the Sokka subplot here, how do you think he f- actually fell into that crack? Do you think, Do you think it was tough? Because the crack didn't seem big enough for Sokka to actually fall into it. So do you think that Toph was there and trapped him in the crack? Oh my God. So that, <laughs> so that, uh, because at the end she just kind of sits there all nonchalant. Not that she was sitting in that exact moment the entirety of the time, because that would be a little too sadistic even for Toph the Melon Lord. <laughs> but I don't know. I just don't know how Sokka would legitimately be have fallen into that crack. I always assumed it was kind of just a little bit of Nicktoon physics, but... Mm. Toph is definitely Machiavellian in her approach to teaching, so I wouldn't put it past her. That's more of a Melon Lord move, though. Not not really a Toph move. (laughs) There's a moment in this episode where Momo jumps to catch a frog, I believe with the intent to eat it, but the frog is as big as Momo is. I desperately wish that it hadn't escaped his grasp and we could see his mouth unhinged as he tried to eat a whole frog. Uh, yeah, up until this point, we've only seen him eat berries, but little do right. we know he's actually a carnivore. <laughs> yeah, or 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 Ang's nuts that are shared by Tom. Oh yeah, she was very thrilled oh, yeah. to be have a partner in crime with the nuts thing. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> I I don't know what I like better about that scene, the fact that she just takes Ang's staff and crushes his nuts from his sack, yep. or as she's walking away, the fact. <laughs> The fact that she is just banging it against everything, which so she doesn't good. need to do right. because we know she's got this seismic earth bending. And it's just, oh man, I just think that's so funny. It's just so, it's just so funny. The walking stick, yeah. Uh, so good. That oh. feels like one of the blind jokes that's more punching up to me. Mm, like, exactly. Mm, she's exactly. in control of that. It's so good. I noticed something too in this episode, and it could just, again, it could be me reading too much into something, but... When <clears throat> Sokka is um, stuck in the crack and he first has the cub and says, I will not eat you or whatever. The cub goes and gets an apple, brings it back. Sokka takes his boomerang out of, out of his, out of his like satchel thing and kind of half throws it. And it just like flops over on the ground. They use a wood sound effect. Oh, when that weird. happens. <laughs> but, Later in the in this episode, when it hits his head, it makes a metal clanking sound. And I always thought that his boomerang was made of metal. Yeah. Not made of wood. Um, especially because of like there are other multiple instances. One that I think of actually happens in book three, um, when they're at the the uh, one of the other air temples. Um, and he has a pristine throw with his boomerang and it hits somebody in the head. Mm. It makes another metal clanking sound. So what do you guys think Sokka has a wooden boomerang or a metal boomerang? What are your thoughts? I think he actually has unlocked a new style of bending where he can transform. It's it's like alchemy almost. So it becomes whatever he needs it to be. 
I was going to say Sokka's mm. skull is made of metal. Ah, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. That's why he's so dense. <laughs> <laughs> what if it's um what if it's like bone? Like like seal bone or whatever, like they all they make all their weapons out of. No, it's probably metal. I had not I had honestly not thought of that until just now, but that's also very plausible. I just get confused because he's got like this club thing that's also a sword right. that he sharpened when they were at the Northern Air Temple or not the Northern Air Temple, Northern Water Temple. And I think he's also sharpened his boomerang before. I think he has. Right? I think it's made like a scraping metal. Yeah. Right. It's got to be metal. I think. I don't know. They needed a clanking sound. They were scrolling through and they're like, well, we don't have a metal one, but we have a wood one and we don't have time to record Again, let's just <laughs> toss it in there. He delivers that line so well when he throws the boomerang. Now come yes. back, boomerang. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Now come back, boomerang. Okay, Max. Again, this is this episode is, is fulfilling all of your bending training fantasies. Mm-hmm. Of of the... And I'm going to end the end that comment right there. No, just kidding. Of the, uh, of the training moments what is your favorite training moment that ang endures like what kind of skill or like demonstration or activity with toff does ang do that you like that's the my most? favorite yeah what was your favorite one i honest okay so this isn't going to directly answer your question but it was watching it more critically it was hilarious how many of those exercises really had nothing to do with earth bending right or like push me back <laughs> like <Okay>. right <laughs> or or balance on these stilts while you hold a a rock i don't know like some a, of it yeah, was a rock kettlebell super, or something it was basically just <laughs> crossfit um i i think my favorite part was toff yelling at him rock like because for the longest time, I had no idea what she was yelling. It just was like nonsense to me. And then I turned on the subtitles to see that she's saying rock like, like, so like, like a rock, which is just like, wait, that's actually what she says. I think so. I think so. She's just like, I thought she said like raw glide or like rock glide or like something with the G, the way that, that I, Jesse delivers that line doesn't sound like rock like it sounds no, like rock glide. Until this watch through, and I've seen this show countless times, I never paid attention enough or looked at the subtitles because I thought it was always like rock eyes or something <laughs> sure. like that. Like it sounds like eyes. I don't know. Yeah. But it's she's literally just telling him to be like a rock, which is <laughs> like, hey, Toph, what's your advice for for rock like earthbending? Be like a rock. Oh, cool, 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 cool. Would you just yell it at me? That would really help me learn. <laughs> which is the most like a rock thing to do. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. What was your favorite part? Um, I liked the whack-a-mole, to mm. be honest, where um, she mm. blindfolded him and mm-hmm. and had... I liked it for two reasons. One, she stole Sokka's um, like sword hatchet thing or whatever, his club. club. Yeah. And like the the scene cuts to Toph like, with her palm in his face, pushing him away because Sokka wants his weapon back. <laughs> and she hands it to Aang and then he's blindfolded and and so he's got a she's teaching him to use like his seismic sense and and feel the vibrations to then attack them i thought that that was a really cool and kind of a fun thing plus i like video games (laughs) so of course i'm gonna pick the whack-a-mole one right very nice (laughs) evan what about you what was your favorite i think it's probably when she goes like full-on iron man and encases herself in a rock suit that part's pretty good Mm. Uh, I don't know why she needs an eye hole, though. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait. <gasps> Did she leave yeah, eye holes, actually? she does. Oh. You'd think she'd leave a space right. to breathe, but exactly. no. Exactly. <laughs> wow. Ooh, that's an animation yeah. issue. I just find that part funny. That's a great point. I did not even notice <gasps> that. Oh, my gosh. Okay. What? Wait. In the Art of the Animated Series book, it's covering her... It's. The her nose and mouth is open. Her eyes are covered. Whoa! Yeah, but then in the final they flipped it. Yeah, I guess so. Hmm. Does it say why? Okay, in this design, uh, consideration was given to the fact that Toph is blind. Yep. So she would only need a breathing hole for the rock suit. However, the animation was drawn so that the hole appeared over her eyes. Unfortunately, that mistake slipped right by us. Oh. Whoa. So it was just straight up a mistake. Okay. 
Wow. That's funny. Nice call, Thank Evan. You. Yeah, that's great. We looked at the concept art and was like, eh, no, I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's pretty clear. Well, let's see if the animation studio they used for this episode ever comes back. <laughs> let's see. It says it was drawn by the guy who wrote Bato of the Water Tribe. Huh. He's gone. <laughs> That's his second strike. He is out of here. Out of here. So when the saber-tooth moose lion attacks, um, which I, I, I... All the hybrid animals are amazing, but that is a fantastic hybrid yeah, animal. Yeah, very well designed, too. And it's a good, mm -hmm. like, pairing. They didn't overly caricaturize mm -hmm. it which i feel like you very easily could do with with those animals mm -hmm. i think they kind of threw the lion in there as i don't know they could have just did saber tooth moose but it definitely sounds better with saber tooth moose, mm -hmm. moose lion can't even say and the it. lion tail oh that's true yeah true true um but ang's dance to distract <laughs> it the the little like jig <laughs> that he does <laughs> do you yeah, I'm, I'm sure he learned that at the swamp, like, you know, they're around the campfire and the swamp benders are just showing him some Oh, dance my God, moves. yeah. For sure, for sure. <laughs> That's very funny. That's a very good callback. Zuko's final moment in this episode is really heartbreaking to me. Mm, yeah. But I got to say, it was also very convenient there was a storm brewing right after that moment. Not only does that moment speak to just this continued struggle that Zuko seems to be perpetually in, I also think it, it speaks to his still like naivete mm -hmm. in that his expectation for learning this move, the lightning redirection move from Iroh, his expectation of that training was, okay, eventually I'm going to get lightning shot at me. And Iroh, on the flip side, tells him, I hope you never have to use this move. Right. And Zuko's like, no, I need something to be more powerful than Azula. But that's not necessarily the point. Zuko just doesn't necessarily get the why for some of these mm -hmm. things yet. And then he goes and he seeks this thing out. Yeah, I'd, my struggle is that Zuko always feels like he's got something to prove right, right now. And... Yeah, when he's at the top of the cliff and he's just like, you've never held back before. Why are you holding back now to nature and the world? You know, just give it to me. You don't think I can take it? Um, is, is Yeah, heartbreaking is a really good word for it. I think about Iroh's line a lot where he's trying to distill Zuko's struggle with pride versus, is it pride versus shame or pride versus? I think so. I forget the, yeah, it's like. You confuse it. That's not the. Yeah, he's talking about the opposite. Is not the, opposite of yeah, something. pride is not the opposite of shame, but its source. Mm -hmm. And then, and then he goes, <laughs> and like the proudest yeah. person of all, he goes to a thunderstorm and says, "You've never held back. Now I can give it back." Yeah, it's just like oh, yeah. Zuko, oh Zuko. Um, when when do you think Iroh would have had the opportunity to learn from the Waterbenders? Ooh, that's a great question. Because I think I think about that, and I think of if he would be in a water tribe village or somewhere, you would think that it would have been while he was a general, like in the mm -hmm. in the army, and he wouldn't have been welcomed, right? Right. So my question again is, when do you think this would have happened for Iroh? And under what circumstances? Like, how would he have been able to befriend these waterbenders to then learn from them? I wonder if it was more at the source, like in his spirit journey. Maybe he even met Twi and La, which is part of why he's so adamant about, like, in the Siege of the North, keeping their yeah. balance. He could have learned very directly how they operate, maybe spoken with them somehow. Sure. I had kind of a darker thought that, you know, he's going to be the f next Fire Lord and he's like a, a general and he needs to know his enemies mm. and like learn from them. So he he maybe he didn't learn from a waterbender, but he just spent a lot of time studying waterbending sure. so that he could kill them. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but he'd do it with a smile. Did we notice at the end how Zuko can only cry out of out of one eye? Oh, at least he did only cry out of one eye. Oh my eye. god, I didn't notice that. Maybe his left side is just more, like, tough. His scarred right. side is just so tough. He only cries out of the right side of his eyes. 
Oh, that's kind of sad. <laughs> I don't know why that makes me feel so sad that he can't cry out of that eye. Well, and I wonder, I mean, I wonder physically, yeah. is it because of the scarring? I think so. I would assume, you know, you kind of lose your tear, duct. your tear duct there. Yeah. That's a so. fascinating detail. Wow. Gosh, I feel so good, Evan, when you compliment <laughs> me this way. Um, I, I just thought it was an interesting point. As as that as as that episode comes to to a close, what do you think Sokka was going to say that he learned about the universe before he was interrupted by Aang? Oh yeah, this we get another classic moment of Sokka about to divulge his his deepest secrets before being rudely interrupted. It happened in the storm, right in season one, and then it also happens here. Hmm. Hmm. It makes a man think about. <laughs> Look what I can do. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good. That's a good question, Evan. Did anything jump to your mind mm, immediately? That he wants to sleep with the moon. <laughs> cool. We asked for it. I don't think anything I could come up with would be remotely close or of a higher quality oh. than Evan's response. So I'm going to refrain. Quality is a very generous word. Thank you. <laughs> I, I will. I will maybe just guess that he probably would have said something about making shallow promises to the universe, so that you know you deceive it into um, getting you what you want. Which actually happens in the very next episode where he makes a shallow promise <laughs> to our boy Wan Shitong and sneaks past him in order to get information, which Wan Shitong told him not to do, but. Alas, we can all agree, though, that Sokka did pick the best mini vacation, which oh, what a way to open episode two so wow, transition. of this right here. Right? I must be a mall cop because that is a beautiful segue. Uh, uh, oh, my God. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Don't make me bring the Seinfeld sounder back. I will bring the Seinfeld bass back. I will. Oh, I welcome it. Oh, no. Maggie's come back. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you listening at home, Max waved goodbye to the video chat. Didn't leave the Google Meet, but but did leave the frame <laughs> briefly. But now he's back. Just, Welcome back. I just had to stretch my legs. Just in, just in time to talk about about the library, which okay. But in all seriousness, what a cool way to op like open the episode, right? Where the gang is is wanting to take some breaks from all the training and the bitter work. Haha. <laughs> so then they're all setting out on these mini vacations, right? Did did Katara ever pick a mini vacation? Yeah, she did. Hers was the the Oasis. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm dumb. That's so that was <laughs> a stupid stupid question. Of course she did. So it was just Ang's first, which was what are those like marmot things? Yeah. Do, do they have a name or a hybrid? Ooh, let's look. I think that the Art of the Animated Series book focused more on the library <laughs> than the Who's that? than the Gophers. Yeah, no, it skips right past the gophers. Well, I thought that that was a pretty cool moment. Plus, it 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 shows us that Aang is uh, uh, a gifted musician, yeah. or at least can play, you know, a couple of notes on a flute. He would be great at music night on the ship. I mean, if only that came back later. That was a missed opportunity, Brian and Mike, but whatever. What do we know? <laughs> We're just your average fans. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should tweet at them about it. I mean... Maybe they'd go back and work, start working with the Netflix live adaptation again, just oh, to no. add uh, a, a recurrence of Music Night. We want two things in in the next batch of episodes here. We want more Music Night on the ship, and we want more Co. The Face Stealer. Brian and Mike, make it happen. Maybe they were going to put that in, and Netflix said no, and that's why they left. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Who do you think would play Co. The Face Stealer in a live adaptation? Hmm. Mm. Do we know anyone who doesn't have a face? Are you <laughs> are you talking about like the actor or like the voice actor that would play it? I feel like it would probably be an Andy Circus mocap moment. Yeah. But who would the voice be if it can't be the it can't let's say it can't be the original voice? Who would it? Who would you want it to be? Maybe Willem Dafoe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, yeah, like like is Boondock Saints Willem there you Dafoe. Go. Oh yeah. I was gonna say. I was going to say Stallone. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, I'm going to steal your face. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Okay. So now doing his best Willem Dafoe is Evan Muse. I'm going to steal your face, Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> when 
not so different, you and uh, I, Avatar. <laughs> I do love the the prep work that went in. Got to get the the head circling and the smile. You know, I'm. Uh, it was gorgeous. He does. He doesn't have that distinctive a voice, I guess. But but you do know that it's him. Yeah, definitely. So it's distinct in that it is like it's very much like you know it when you hear it. But it's it's hard to recreate. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, Jerry Seinfeld is much yeah. easier for the two of you to create. <laughs> Welcome back, young avatar. <laughs> and and let's. What's the deal with your face? Oh my Give god! Okay, okay, okay. I'm just gonna get that out of here Twee now. Before I, again, push and pull. Again, don't don't make me bring the Seinfeld sounder back. I will. I will do it. Oh, it's almost like I want it. Well, Brandon, this is one of your favorite episodes, as you've talked about before. So it'd be a shame if we didn't actually talk about the episode. Um, <laughs> well, and that's going to do it for this episode. No, no. <laughs> Why is this your favorite episode? I don't know. I think I like Wan Chi Tong mm-hmm. as a character and as like a villain and as a concept mm-hmm. and an idea. The fact that you have this all-knowing spirit who just harbors all of this knowledge and originally has such good intent for it. At its core, Wan Chi Tong as a spirit represents just this collection of knowledge that then can positively impact the universe and the world. Obviously, that doesn't go according to his plan because Zhao, we learned in this episode that Zhao found the library before Professor Zay and the gang and used that info that he found there to discover the mortal forms of, of the moon and, and ocean spirits. But I think then the the evolution of Wan Chi Tong as a character with good intentions first and then now becoming like this hoarder type of a person who just wants all this knowledge almost for himself is just so fascinating to me. I also like, I really like the Misty Palms Oasis as like a location and as a destination, both because when Aang first talks about it, when Katara picks mm-hmm. it as her mini vacation, he's like, oh yeah, it's a natural wonder of the earth. And then when they get there, he's like, must have changed ownership since I was here. So funny. Like, again, some of that comedy is just really refreshing and really fun. We get sandbenders in this episode, too. So another one of these, I don't want to call it a sub form and mean it as something less than, but a, like a subdivision of bending where we've had kind of um, swamp bending or vine bending. We've had lightning bending. We've, we now have um, sand bending. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just think... Plus, of all the episodes, that could be a really good excuse to kind of give us a little bit more exposition or plot development or setting up. This is like the perfect concept and way to do it, in my opinion. Like you're going to a place that has all this knowledge. So then just give that knowledge to your audience and your viewers. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just so much, in my opinion, so much to love about this this episode. Yeah, it's huge for world building. It's great. Every minute of it builds on the world and every little Easter egg in there when they're in the, the library itself. And then for plot development too, you get pretty much the plot for the rest of the show. Or right. A good portion of the show. Right. I really uh, <laughs> identified with Aang sort of sheepish. Oh, you know, it was better when I was there because <laughs> I just, I could imagine, you know, you hype something up. You're like, Oh, you got to check this out. It's so cool. And then getting there and being like, Hmm, Nope. Uh, yeah, it used to be different. Uh. <laughs> well, and that's also a moment where, you know, when you're a little kid and you go to Disney World the first time. Oh, yeah. It is so much different than going to Disney mm-hmm. World as an adult or as like a chaperone of a high school choir oh, of yeah, 300 <laughs> kids where you're having to like manage and take care of all of these people and check in. <laughs> totally, totally different experiences, right? I think that's a moment like this for Aang. Aang had it in his mind, and not that the the natural ice sculpture couldn't have changed in the last hundred years. Obviously, it did. Of course, it did. But the fact that, yeah, it was this almost ideal place, an ideal moment in Aang's mind, to then have it be kind of this dud of a thing right away is so funny. Oh, so funny. It's that like expectation versus reality thing that that's at play here. I blame the juice guy. He, oh, for yeah, sure. He's been whittling it down. He's been just chipping away at the ice. <laughs> it reminds me of when I brought some friends from college to see a show at my old high school. 
thinking like, oh, we did the best stuff. It was so cool. You guys are going to love it. And it was like Oklahoma <laughs> and like as cringy as every other high school production probably was. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, I've grown up and that's a good thing. But I dragged you all back to this. <laughs> That's a that's a little little too on the nose yeah. for me personally, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> given my clientele. <laughs> okay, I had a couple thoughts about this episode that I wanted to run past you. So, Washington, I can't ever say it. Wan Shi Tong. Wan Shi Tong. He who knows ten thousand things. <laughs> Thank you. Mm -hmm. He brought his library to the physical world, and then after Zhao, he kind of sunk it a little bit so that. Humans couldn't access it because he was very clear, like, humans are no longer allowed in my library. Who are you sharing your library with then? If, why is it still in the physical world? Like, Right. It, there's no reason for it to remain in the physical world other than, you know, uh, we're, we're, I think we're to assume that, that Zhao got that knowledge, like, recently. Mm -hmm. Like, at least within maybe two years of, of this episode. Um because I think they may have talked, they may have talked about that timing in in the library episode. Yeah. But for sure, when Zhao was uh, uh, with Iroh on the boat in the Siege of the North episode, he talked about how he'd stumbled upon this library, blah blah blah, all this stuff. So I think it's a fairly recent development, and I think Wan Shitong kind of had in his mind that, okay, let me just sink my library slightly, wait until this generation kind of dies out and then maybe I can bring my library back or re-manifest itself above ground a little bit because mm. he hadn't, I think his faith in humanity hadn't been completely shaken until like this second encounter with another group of humans and the avatar, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a mm -hmm. spirit human hybrid who had also vouched that we would not, that they would not use the, the knowledge in the library for anything malicious I think the fact that it was like two events in such a close proximity really just pissed Wan Shitong off. And he's like, nope, I'm done. Peace right. out. I think he also doesn't commit fully to taking it away because he wants to be accruing knowledge still. The foxes are exactly. going out, mm. grabbing scrolls and things. That's the first thing they see is a fox coming back with something. Ooh. I don't think he can exactly. quite let go of that. Yep. Sure. That's a good point. I, I do think that moment's kind of funny too, when Professor Zay, when they're in the the juice shop, goes, and his foxy knowledge oh, seekers, that part's which so is so weird. funny. <laughs> I, no, I I think it's I think it's kind of fun and endearing. <laughs> but then Sokka again revealing his, uh, whatever idiocy. Oh, it's got some fine looking assistants, and then Katara. No, dude, they're actually foxes. What are you thinking here? <laughs> but the fact that the fact that the professor just gets so excited about the prospect of all of this and his first interaction with Aang, you know, too, he's like, "You're a living relic." He does like <laughs> some weird phrenology for... stuff. He's measuring his skull. It's like, <laughs> yeah. "Oh my god." Well, I mean, he gets like so wrapped up that he doesn't know how he comes yeah. across cuz he straight up asks Appa, hey, are you the last of right. your kind? Right. And Appa kind of, you know, probably scoffs at him and he goes, oh, delightful. <laughs> it's like, oh, God. So, Max, you said that Appa scoffed. Can you can you interpret that for us? Can you do an Appa maybe? Maybe Appa? Um, I think that Evan can do the Appa and then I can <laughs> translate. Um, there we go. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Which translates to, screw you, why would you ask someone that? That's really rude. <laughs> well, and then he's like, to Appa, he goes, oh, the, the stories this beast could tell. And then Momo just starts yeah. chirping at him right in his ear, like trying to right. tell him. Because Momo, I think, understands a little bit. Like, this guy just wants some info. Momo's there to give it give it to him. And he's just like, quiet, Shut monkey thing, or whatever yeah. he says. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Which, it's... That's a very much like a Sokka moment where Sokka, again, is trying to tell us what he's thinking or feeling or, or being. And it's like, nope, we don't care. <laughs> they went pretty hard on the blind jokes. Oh, this episode. yeah. Lots of blind jokes. <laughs> Toph, you know, yelling out, there it is, was yeah. fantastic. That's so funny. Yeah. And then Katara not realizing that, you know, books might not right. interest Toph. <laughs> I think the thing that makes the Toph... The Toph 
uh, self-deprecating joke more funny is the fact that it happens near the tail end, like right before they find the library. Mm-hmm. So we kind of get this mm-hmm. m- this uh, video montage of them um, searching through all these, pl- or like searching, flying over through the, the desert. And all of a sudden, Toph, there it is. And then they all are like, what? That's what it'll be like if one of you finds it. And then she looks at him, <laughs> or it looks at us as the viewer and goes, <laughs> it... That is funny. I think it's great. Even the music chimes yep. in to be like, is yeah. there? <laughs> yeah. 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 I think the what I like about those jokes is it's more like, how do you all keep forgetting that I'm blind and not like, haha, Toph is blind? Which I think is is a twofold thing. I think it's a sign that this disability is definitely a part of Toph's character and who she is, but it's not something that she lets define her character. Right. Like she even though right away she's introduced as the blind bandit pretty quickly after that, after we learn of her seismic bending capability, we're like, Oh, okay. So she can see and she can do everything that everybody else can. In fact, better in some cases, cause she's a more powerful bender right now. It's not something that she's letting define her. It's not a disability that's holding her back in any way, really right. with the one exception being the sand bending, not being able to see very well. And then we see how that plays out here at the end. But that's that's really the only moment um, that that her disability kind of has that negative effect right. as far as the outcome is concerned. I think my one major grievance with this episode is actually kind of... <gasps> Don't do it. Ah, I'm sorry. Don't do it I'm to me. Break your Don't heart. do it. <laughs> <laughs> and this one and the, the one after this is sort of the depiction of the Sandbenders. I don't love that, like, the brown people with head wraps who live in the desert are depicted as like spitting on people and stealing things as the main thing that they do. Yeah. That kind of sucks. And if we saw them more, if it was more fleshed out, I feel like they try to do it in the next episode. Like they show that it was just sort of a punk kid, like a teenager yep. making some mistake, but there, it doesn't feel like there's enough time spent with them for that to be mainly what we see about them. Yeah, I think in that Appa's Lost Days arc um, is the arc that you're referring to where they kind of try to unpack the Sandbenders a little bit more. You know, it could have easily been something that, and it's hard because they're telling, at that point they're telling the story through Appa who goes through this very traumatic experience, right? It's hard to include that in there, but I totally, totally agree with you, Um, especially when you think about relating it to current like world events and, and you think about, Middle Eastern culture and the Arab world being, you know, in the news and in mainstream media depicted as this non-desirable place to be. And you see those parallels and those mirrors happening here in this episode. Yeah. It's also odd that it seems like they're all men that is, as these yeah. sandbenders. And, and I mean, there could be women in, in the culture and could be women sandbenders, but at least they don't, they don't show any of them here. Okay. Um, but yeah, it is a little... It is a little weird, and it it is definitely something that's dated. Yeah, like it's for something sure. that I think if they were to get another shot at it, I hope that they would treat it differently, um, especially because of how well they seem to work through things like disability, um, and they challenge uh, female stereotypes and other things that the show kind mm-hmm. of does decently well. Um, that was a miss for yeah. sure. I think I always notice it more in a show that like tries really hard to make the point like understand other people and other perspectives and then they fall back on these stereotypes and it's like oh okay right at the same time it's pretty cool to see a community that thrives in this really harsh environment and has been able to come up with some pretty ingenious ways to do that with like sand sailing and yeah um obviously pretty resilient i mean if they could have fleshed it out more it could have been a really cool um culture to absolutely dive into. i think it's it's close to something which is maybe makes me even more disappointed that they had a good opportunity yeah, right. there yep like what they highlight on yeah 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 now that evans opened the floodgate to um this isn't a like an issue with the the portrayal of anything but i was always confused on the timing of the episode because they seem at as the library is sinking they seem to have so much time while it's sinking that they can go back and do a whole nother calendar cycle. Um, 
meanwhile, apparently it's still sinking. I don't, I don't really, the, the timing of it always throws me off a little bit. Hmm. Maybe it's meant to highlight Toph's strength that she really does hold it up that long. And that's the other thing I have an oh. issue with. <laughs> Great. <laughs> oh, okay. So what? what's that? What's your issue with, with that here? That is a huge library. How is Toph holding it up? Yeah, especially by she, the very tippity-toppity of it. In yeah. sand, she's already kind of said, I mean, I know she like hardens the ground a little bit, but like. Which is very cool when she turns the mm-hmm. sand into sandstone, I, I think is what that's supposed yeah. to do or be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder what is actually sinking the library. Like, I wonder, I wonder if like Wan Chi Tong kind of like opens a portal to then zap it down. Mm -hmm. That's like a constant thing. Or if Wan Chi Tong has to kind of be playing an active role in it, because then the fact that he's kind of battling the gang and Professor Zay inside the library could be, quote, slowing it down, end quote. But I want to believe it's probably a combination of both, right? We forget how strong Toph is because this whole episode has kind of uh, been debilitating for her because it it takes away the only way that she can see, mm-hmm. um, and that's through the solid ground. But I, I don't, I don't know. That's a good. That's a really good point. I think the thing that I would maybe struggle with with the timing is, yeah, they do have a ton of time to go back, which. I, I have some issue with like that decision. Like why why did Sokka decide to do that? And then why did Aang go along with it? You know, but whatever. Um, but uh, the fact that why would it have taken the sandbenders that long to then scoop up Appa at the end? Because there's that constant back and yeah, forth. Yeah. And, you know, I think we're let we're supposed to be led to believe that. I think the moments are happening at the same time, but when we're right. seeing one moment, it may be resetting to like happen in conjunction with a moment that we just saw. So like mm-hmm. when the the library first starts to sink, it jumps to Toph, who then stops the library, and then mm-hmm. it goes back to the gang inside, who may be working through all this stuff just as Toph stopped it. So I don't know kind of what the gap is in that that uh, scene differential, but I right. think, I think that can be something. Is it, yeah. Is it like five, 10, 15 minutes? Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. Right. Because then if it's only five minutes, if all of this is happening in five minutes, you'd think that Aang would be able to catch up to the sand. Right. Right. Be able to see them in the distance. It's a desert, right? Right. I, I mean, you can see pretty far and he has a glider. I don't know. So the timing always <laughs> threw me off, but it is, it's, it's, I understand why they did it because it's such an entertaining episode and you get drawn into it and you're holding your breath and there's a, like a cool chase scene and this awesome bad guy. And yeah. You need to pack a lot of this in. I just always like once they go to the montage of their they're back in there and they're doing the levers and stuff mm-hmm, like that. It's mm-hmm. like, OK, how is this happening right now? Well, and you wonder, too, if and I don't know, because I think they left the smartest member of the gang who was in the library with Professor Zay. <laughs> Like, I don't know why they wouldn't have all gone uh, or maybe like left Sokka and I don't know. I think Katara should have for sure been in there with them. But I wonder if they had some type of of method because there's no way that they're actually going to try every single day from the current day to the day that Sozin's Comet arrives. There's no way. Absolutely none. Exactly. So they did. Yeah. So you but. But you wonder if they like skipped days or found a way to, okay, analyze really quickly. This is nowhere near happening. So I wonder. And that's, I don't think Aang or Sokka are smart enough to do that. I don't know. I'm just I trying, mean, I'm trying to I mean, figure Sokka, out how it works. <laughs> Sokka explicitly says, we don't need to try every day. We just need to try now and between now and then. It's like, yeah, that's still that's, months and months and months yeah, and days. Yeah. Other than that, it's a great episode. <laughs> Would you say, Max, that it's your favorite episode up to this point, or is it not quite worthy of that title? No, it's definitely the best. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely the best episode. <laughs> and then we're left again on this very heartbreaking moment, like mm-hmm. two episodes in a row. Mm-hmm. And I know the library is part one of two, which I think we, one of the cool things about book two is that there are a lot of these like two episode chunks. Mm-hmm. They just don't always fall with the way that we're doing the podcast. But we're kind of left again with this super heartbreaking moment where 
one episode prior, we are, you know, we're seeing Zuko breaking down against Mother Nature. And here we're we're seeing the gang escape the library right as it goes down. And first thing we hear, Aang, where's Appa? Mm. Mm. And then it's like he he has just lost he's just lost everything again. Yeah. I think every episode does that at this point. It there's no slowing down. Every right. episode ends on like you need to watch the next episode. Mm-hmm. And that's how we're gonna end our podcast. There we go. Making you um, need to listen to the next <laughs> perfect next episode. But you'll have to wait because we because we release them a week apart. <laughs> so you'll just have to go back and listen to all the episodes again in preparation for the next week. Unless you're in the future and you're binging this. <laughs> um I didn't realize that this came out. Sorry, not to move. <laughs> I didn't realize that this came out in a in a special, a two episode special with the next Dude, the episode. The Fury of yeah, Aang. Uh, in- the Fury of Aang, which is sweet. Um yeah, it it was this one. So the library and the desert, which are these the next episode is the desert. And then it's the Serpent's Pass and the Drill. Those two were together. And then I think I don't think we have another one that's meant to be together until the end of the season. Um, but I'll have to look ahead and, and just double check that. But yeah, so like these, we've, we've got this like pocket of episodes here in the middle, um, that are, yeah, that are back to back ones, which is so cool mm-hmm. because yeah, then, then it's, it's, they're treating these things much more like a, like a TV movie. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So the story again is just increasingly coherent and, and you see how everything fits in, which is just so cool. Like the things that they're able to do now are just incredible. We're especially thinking of again the one-off episodes like the great divide or bato the water tribe (laughs) and you're like okay the 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 ability to keep things fairly coherent and never waste a moment is so much fun Mm -hmm. and that's going to do it for this episode we hope you've enjoyed our discussion so far as we certainly have we'll be back next week as we continue our conversations about the second season of avatar the last airbender We're now live on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for at previous.pod on Facebook and at previous underscore pod on Twitter. Give us a like or a follow and interact with us. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the series as we keep the dialogue going. A big thanks to my co-hosts, Evan and Max, for being a part of the podcast. We'll see you soon. No yip yip this week because we've lost Appa.